0: So we will resume the service. Sorry for that uh, technical glitch beyond our control. But may the Lord bless us as we continue our service. I will read the text for the sermon of this morning in 1 Peter 1, the verses 6 and 7. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. In response to the sermon, we will be singing from hymn 64, the stanzas 1 and 2 and we will do so standing. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, beloved Easter congregation, that would be a nice variation, would it not, brothers and sisters, to my usual address at the beginning of the sermon. Beloved Easter congregation, for that's indeed what you are, right? Easter congregation, we are living of the benefits of Christ's glorious resurrection we have seen in the past few weeks. We are living a new life. In his great mercy, God the Father has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, we saw last week. And we are rich too. Through Christ's resurrection, we have an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. Hope and an inheritance, those are the fruits of Christ's resurrection, Peter showed us so far, which incite us to great joy. Or do they, beloved? Well, of his first addressees, Peter knows they did. In this you greatly rejoice, he writes. Their lives obtained a new, a deeper dimension, a richer meaning in expectation and anticipation. How is that with us? Do we rejoice in the fruits and benefits of Christ's resurrection? Do these treasures of faith mean anything to us actually? Are we encouraged and strengthened in our faith when we hear about it? When the preaching proclaims to us that we have a living hope, a secure inheritance, and a guarded position, does that change our focus, our mood, and our outlook of life? Does that still affect us when we hear a sermon about it? Or do we need to be incited by something more striking, more remarkable, or something more in line with what we would like to hear? Well, Peter's adversaries, beloved, do rejoice in the treasures of Christ thanks to his resurrection from the dead. And no wonder, for they were delivered from their ignorance, from their vain and empty life in which they used to live in the world. They had lived without perspective, without much meaning, and without any hope in the world. Now, however, they received incentives and prospects and promises by faith, which motivated them tremendously. In this, they greatly rejoiced. What they had in this world may have been nice for a while, yet it did not last. The beauty of life, of relationships, and of possessions, too, was only temporary. They had lived like everyone else, enjoying it for a while, yet disappointed because it lasted only so long. Thanks to Christ's resurrection, however, they now have a living hope and a secure inheritance. That's why they rejoiced. What a difference it made, beloved. What an incentive it was. What a joy it gave them now that they had a goal, a sense, and a purpose in life. Now that they could look over the grave into eternal life. Did it change their circumstances, their struggles? On the contrary, in a way, their troubles increased due to their different position. Yet their faith in Christ's glorious resurrection gave them great joy. And that's the message we must hear too in order that we may realize again what we have in Christ and what it is that should occupy our minds, fill our hearts, and incite us to a life of faith under the circumstances in which we find ourselves. So in our text, we focus our attention on the fact that true faith gives great joy in spite of grief, in the sight of trials, in the light of glory. That's how I would like to summarize the message of our text. True faith gives great joy in spite of grief, our first point, in the sight of trials, Our second point, in the light of glory, our third point. So true faith gives great joy in spite of grief. Remember, brothers and sisters, that Peter addressed his readers as strangers in the world, exiles, who were scattered throughout Asia Minor. That characterization highlighted their special, their privileged position. They belong to god peter had added that's a place of honor their citizenship is in heaven where christ their king is their risen lord they are at home with god the father but that's what made them strangers in the world in verse 17 peter draws some consequences of that too since you call On a father who judges each man's work impartially, live your lives as strangers here in reverent fear." Well, that's what they did as children of the Father. They lived for God, no longer for themselves. They lived according to God's will, no longer by the standards of man. Now, it's not without good reason, beloved, that the Apostle Peter starts out with this characterization of their position in this world as children of God, at home with the Father, and living through faith in their risen Lord. His first readers did not have an easy time. Rich employers abused them, cheated them in their wages. Others were sued in court. Again, others took the brunt in their families. Yes, as Peter observes, their faith and position causes them to suffer grief. Grief? Grief in a Christian life with so many promises, hopes, and treasures? Yes, indeed, the life of faith is not a bed of roses. That's basically the main line throughout the entire epistle. Every time again, Peter refers to it. Yes, in chapter 4, verse 1 to 5, he also explains it. Christ suffered. And so it should not surprise them that they have to suffer too. The consequences of a life in the Lord brings grief, suffering. Today also, I should add, beloved, I remember I once said this in a sermon, and the next day a young brother came to me, troubled, for his faith did not give him any grief in life. That's when we had a good discussion about the effect Christ's suffering and death for sin and his resurrection should have on our life. That signified in baptism, I showed. Our baptism in Christ signifies our dying to sin and our rising to a new life. It means that we have to die to sin in our life. That's hard. That hurts. Of course, that hurts only when we accept God's will for our life here and now, repent from sin, and live for him in all holiness and obedience that's when we have to give up on things. Fight against sin in our life. Cut off that hand that causes you to sin and gouge out that eye that causes you to sin. That hurts. It hurts when we make Christ and his kingdom the purpose of our life, so that we have to give up on those holidays that we could otherwise afford or on those extras that others enjoy in abundance in this time of prosperity. That's when you have to look at this grief in the light of Christ's work by a true faith, for otherwise you cannot rejoice. True faith, however, gives great joy when you consider what Christ has done, what he has earned, and what you may receive. As a true pastor, brothers and sisters, the Apostle Peter takes this grief seriously. He does not minimize it, even though he says that now for a little while they suffer grief. With the reminder of the living hope and the secure inheritance, he places this grief in proportion to the eternal glory that will be revealed. Hence, it seems like a little while. That's typically Peter. In chapter 5, verse 10, he speaks the same way. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. He does that in his second epistle too when he points at God's clock on which one day is like a thousand years and a thousand years are like one day. God will come to the completion of his work, yet he is in a hurry and will not take a day too long in completing it. Peter puts the situation of God's children in the light of God's love, even from eternity and unto eternity. That's why he knows that there still is room for rejoicing. True faith observes that, oversees it all, and remembers it all. At the same time, beloved, Grief is an emotion also that comes to us due to what happens to us. When you look around you, this joy can be gone just like that. When you see the images of misery and violence in the world, the results of a disaster, a war, a famine, or this pandemic, this joy will be far removed from our heart. Or think of the setbacks that befall us, or the hardships, the adversity, the sickness, or the death of a loved one. Then the question why it happens is there before you know it, and the grief as well. No, then it's not wrong to ask the question why. Our Savior did so too on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Or like the psalmist, why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? Indeed, as long as we are in this broken world and live in this broken body and suffer from sin and death and the effects of them, there will be grief. And still, and yet, there will be joy. True faith does give great joy in spite of this grief. For we learn to see all these causes for grief in the light of God's loving dealings with his children. And that's what Peter shows us when he writes the suffering, these strangers in the world. In this you greatly rejoice... Though now, for a little while, if necessary, you may have to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. So that's what we see in the second place. True faith gives great joy in the sight of trials. The Apostle Peter, brothers and sisters, points at the will of God with the lives of his children. That's how it may have to go in your life, that you suffer all kinds of trials. God governs our life. Our life is in God's hands. From the Father hand of God, trials may have to come to us. If he deems that necessary, that's his wisdom. We cannot always understand this. Yet we do have to believe this. If it may have to be so, we will suffer grief. That's the will of God who is busy completing His plan with His world, with His creation, with the new heaven and the new earth, with His church in this world, and therefore also with us, with His children individually. He takes care of His elect in a special way, with a special love, Hence, it has to be in God's plan with us that we have to suffer grief and trouble, mourning and pain, that we must give this over to the Father in heaven and to our Lord Jesus Christ who bought us with his precious blood. For a little while, we will have to suffer trials, but there will be an end to it. Then we can rejoice when we look at what remains the living hope, and the inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. When you believe that, beloved, you will have joy nonetheless because of your salvation, which is firm and secure in Jesus Christ. In the grief of your experience as strangers in the world, such a true faith will not let go of what you have in Jesus Christ. It is a grief in the sight of all kinds of trials, the Apostle writes. Now, the word Peter uses is translated as trials. That word occurs twice in the New Testament, here and in James 1, verse 3. Each writer uses the word for his own purposes. The word could also be translated as temptations. In the context, however, of Peter's expression that they may have to suffer grief, we must see God's will, God's almighty power and providence behind it. Well, God does not tempt anyone. He tests our faith. That's what Peter sees in the lives of these strangers in the world whose trials come so that your faith may be proved genuine. Their suffering does not come by accident. The Lord has a purpose for it. He's busy with them. He is the heavenly gardener who prunes every branch that bears fruit so that it will be even more fruitful. As we know from John 15, verse 2. Now, beloved, the pruning itself does not give joy. The pruning in itself is something that hurts, that brings suffering. However, when we know that it is God's Father hand that's behind it, then the experience changes. For God is our Father for Christ's sake, who always seeks the best for his children. That's what Peter points out here at the beginning of his letter. God is bringing these Christians into trouble because He wants them to persevere in the faith. The Scriptures are filled with examples of God's children who are tested in their faith. The Lord Jesus Himself told His disciples that we have to enter His kingdom through many tribulations. In the way of all these trials and tribulations, He refines our faith. For believing is something very important. Our faith is a precious thing. It's precious not only to us but also to God. As the heavenly gardener, he is busy with us. He prunes because he seeks fruits in our life. He tests because he wants to see the genuineness of our faith. Believing, beloved, It's not an easy thing to do. You don't just believe this or that. You don't just come along to church, take a class, and believe what you are supposed to believe. Making converts is not something for which uh, you set targets and have objectives. As we confess in Lord's Day 7 of the Heidelberg Catechism, a true faith is a sure knowledge Whereby I hold for true all that God has revealed in His Word and affirm confidence that not only to others but to me also, God has given forgiveness of sins, everlasting righteousness and salvation out of mere grace only for the sake of Christ's merits. Remember, young people who are looking forward to professing your faith publicly. That's a precious faith, a faith the Apostle Peter compares with gold, precious gold. Gold still is a much-desired possession. Throughout the centuries, gold has been treasured as a precious and stable commodity. Gold is expensive today more than ever. It's a precious metal, however, that needs to be refined. All the impurities must be removed. Many of Peter's readers may have known that process well from professional experiences. Now this idea, beloved, that the believer's faith is tested like gold is in the furnace dried is quite common in Holy Scripture. The test brings the quality of the faith to light and serves as proof for its genuineness. The contents of this faith is, Jesus Christ, the risen Savior, the Lord of heaven and earth. Is He everything to you? Do you give up everything for Him? Do you expect everything from Him? Do you truly lay your life today and in the future into His hands? submitting it to His power, His blessing. Is it your only comfort today, truly, both in life and in death, that you belong to your heavenly Father through the purchase with Christ's blood? Do you receive your whole life with all its blessings and troubles, with all its joys and sorrows from his fatherly hand, believing that he will turn everything to your benefit eternally? Do you? Yes. Good. However, God tests that faith in his way. And at his time. Or do you have this faith only as a ticket to receive admission to heaven? Or as an insurance policy to obtain eternal life? Or as a sweet conclusion to an otherwise indifferent and unfruitful life? Or do you have it as a true and faithful faith? A fruitful faith. He tests us to refine that faith, to train us, to strengthen us, and to cause us to withdraw all our support, all our interests, and all our purposes from everything in this world in order to place it alone in Him. That we may rejoice always. Rejoice in the Lord Jesus Christ always. Which brings us to our third point, true faith. He has great joy in the light of glory. Gold, brothers and sisters, perishes, says Peter, no matter how precious a commodity it may be in this world. Faith, however, remains. Faith is refined also that it may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. That's on the day when the books will be opened and each one will have to give account before the judgment seat of Christ. That's when it will show what we lived for in our work, in our family, and in the midst of His church and world. That's when our life will be revealed, our life in love to God and Christ. That's when the Father will crown His own work in our life. The fruits of that life may have been the result of pruning, of suffering, of trials and tribulations. When Christ appears in his radiant glory, however, we will share in his glory. For the radiance of the bride is the glory of the bridegroom. You see, beloved, we are on our way. And we continue in our way. The complete glory is coming, for Christ will reveal himself. He was born in Bethlehem, and the people saw him, and there was no honor and glory. After his resurrection, however, he manifested himself to his disciples in his glorious appearances. That's how he will appear again as judge of the universe. That every eye will see him in his glory, believers and unbelievers. The anticipation of that day gives true believers great joy today already. Those who suffer today for Christ's sake and who are refined by trials are trained in this joy Trained in this joy for the songs of praise they will sing on that day. There is suffering for Christ's sake, beloved, and therefore grief, scorn, and slander from the world. Perhaps you don't feel this tension so much or not all the time, yet it's there. Fellow believers experience it when they speak out on issues of faith, or on matters such as abortion or same-sex relationships, euthanasia or suicide, and the like. When faithful believers show the consequences of their faith for their lifestyle, they meet with scorn and opposition. People who claim to be so very tolerant usually are tolerant only when it pertains to greater freedom and liberalism. There is little or no tolerance, however, in or outside the church for those believers who desire to be consistent and faithful to the Lord. Indeed, the fire of our refining can be hot. As Peter says in chapter 4, verse 12, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice that you participate in the sufferings for, of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. And That's our comfort today. And that's why Peter can say it for today already in this. You greatly rejoice. Our suffering and struggles of faith are not in vain. For we will receive praise, glory, and honor on the day that our Lord Jesus Christ is revealed. Therefore, go on in his might, rejoicing, for your trials and grief will bring you closer to him. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.